0: Let's turn to Romans, please, chapter 2. Romans, chapter 2. And let's look, to the Lord, in prayer. Gracious Father, we thank you today that we can come together in this place to worship you. We thank you that those of us who know you as our saviour and truly seeing he is so precious to me. We thank you for our blessed Saviour. We thank you, Father, for your word. And Lord, today as we come to the word of God, we pray that you quite our hearts. We'd ask that you turn our focus and our attention upon your word. And Lord, I pray that you give me that guidance that only you can give. As I take your word, that I would speak clearly, plainly. And, Lord, that your word would then speak to our hearts and that we'd leave this place singing your praise. We pray that, Lord, you'd minister to us now through your word and guide us as we study your word together. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. We return now to God's courtroom in Romans chapter 2, and it's been a long, long time since we're here. It was last year. We were last in Romans chapter 2, so I'm not sure how much you remember of where we're at, except that Romans chapter 1 and Romans chapter 2 really are a description of God's courtroom as God puts mankind on trial to demonstrate that man is indeed a sinner in need of a saviour. And uh, as we continue in God's courtroom in chapter 2, we see the third defender still uh, on the trial, And if you remember, he's the religious sinner. In verses 17 and following, we have the religious sinner. He typifies a strictly religious person who believes that they can buy their way to heaven. He prides himself in keeping the religious practices of the law of Moses. And he reminds us of millions of people around the world today who believe they can work their way to heaven through being religious. The defendant, of course, is not only the Jewish people that the Apostle Paul is describing to us here in Romans chapter 2, verses 17, right through chapter 3 and verse 8, actually. He's going to describe to us the Jewish nation, God's people. The problem is that they might be God's people, but they had a false hope. Because they thought being a Jew and keeping the law would save them. They thought that if they uh, by birth they were Abraham's seed and therefore because they were by birth Abraham's seed and they had the law of Moses that that made them acceptable to God. They were saved. They were on their way to heaven. But being religious and keeping the law doesn't save anybody. And Paul this. For us in these verses, verses 17 of chapter 2 through verse 8 of... uh, Sorry, in the verse we're going to look at today, verses 19 and 20 is what we're going to look at today. In verses 19 and 20, uh, Paul lists for us the advantages of the Jews. We started seeing them in verses 17 and 18. Today we're going to look at verses 19 and 20. And here he lists for us eight advantages of the Jews. Eight advantages the Jews pride themselves in... Saying that that's what made them different, giving them access to heaven. And in these eight advantages, Paul's going to point out their sin and their need of a Savior. And so far, we've seen that they were Jews. They pride themselves on the fact they were Jews. That's verse 17. It says, Behold, thou art called a Jew. They had the law, verse 17. He goes on to say, And resteth in the law they had a privileged relationship with god in verse 17 and make us thy boast of god and they had a superior knowledge in verse 18 and know us his will and approve us the things that are more excellent being instructed out of the law and then in verses 19 and 20 he gives us the last four of these advantages that the jews would speak about that they thought made them special in fact gave them salvation and so i wanted to consider these four this morning So let's consider, first of all, the fifth advantage that the Jews declared that they had. And here we find that they believed themselves, uh, believed that they were a guide to the blind. They believed that they were a guide to the blind. Look in verse 19. And are confident that thou thyself art a guide of the blind. You know what the, the uh, Bible' is telling us here is that these Jewish people consider themselves to be capable of instructing and leading the heathen. to be able to go to the heathen nations around about them and even the heathen within their uh, midst, to be able to go to the heathen people, the Gentiles, and teach them what they need to know, to lead these nations to God. They believed that they were qualified to act as instructors. In fact, the word confident is used there. And art confident. The word confident means that thou hast persuaded thyself that thou art a guide of blind ones. This was a self-confidence. They in of themselves believed that they were in a position to be able to instruct those who were blind. To guide the blind. These Jews were arrogant enough To think that even though they weren't applying God's word to their lives. They were qualified to teach it to other people. And as we've seen and as we're going to see in this description of the nation of Israel. uh, In the next part of this uh, passage. What you find is that Israel really failed to keep the law. They felt that they were instructors. They could teach other people how to live. But they themselves weren't living that way. They themselves weren't even applying the truth to their own lives, let alone being able to apply it to other people's lives. In their self-righteousness, due to the fact that they had the law, due to the fact that they were Jews, due to the fact that they felt they had a special relation with God, in their self-righteousness, they had convinced themselves that they could guide others in spiritual matters. They could guide the blind, spiritually blind, even though they themselves had not been keeping the law. Now the blind here is probably the Gentiles because the Jews consider Gentiles to be blind, to be in darkness, to be foolish, to be immature. So more than likely the reference here to the blind is that the Jews were looking down at the Gentiles and thinking that they were superior and that they could teach them what they needed to know you know the jews themselves were in darkness they did not have a right relation to god in fact by the time you get to romans of course we already know the jews had rejected the messiah jesus christ the son of god had left heaven's glory had been born in bethlehem of judea as god had prophesied he'd grown up and he'd ministered amongst them as god had prophesied He was taken by the Jews. He was crucified upon a Roman cross. He was buried and rose again the third day. But the nation of Israel collectively rejected their Messiah. The very one who could lead them to God, the very one who could save them, the very one who died that their sins might be forgiven, they rejected him. And they themselves were there for in darkness. And the truth is, before they could teach others... Two things had to be true in their lives. First of all, they needed to be saved. How could they ever lead somebody to God if they didn't know the way to God? And Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, the life, and they rejected him. If they did not know the way, how could they ever lead somebody to God? And secondly, those Jews who were saved needed to be sanctified. They need to have a right relationship to God. They need to know Him personally, intimately. And if they were going to instruct other people how to live, then they themselves need to be able to look at the Word of God and apply it to their lives. I was thinking about that this week. You know, there's a couple of... These are really sobering verses for a pastor. You know, they're a reminder as to why... We need to pray and prepare our hearts before we preach each week. That's why we need to spend time searching our hearts before we prepare a message and then asking God to reveal to us the message he would have us to present. You know, the truth is, those of us who preach need to have a right relationship with the Lord before we can seek to guide others in the word of God. I mean, if the word of God is not precious to us, how will we ever be able to share it with others and help you to see what God has for you? It's also true that none of us can be effective witnesses unless we have a right relation with the Lord. How could we ever be a witness for Christ if our relationship with Christ is is hindered, is tarnished by our lives, by the relationship that we have with the things that we shouldn't have rather than a relationship with God? You know, God must be real to us before we can share Him with others. We need to have a heart relationship with the Lord, not just a head knowledge. So even as believers, many of us can have a head knowledge. We can, we can understand who God is. We can understand the gospel, understand his word. But unless we have a heart relationship with him, then it's just empty words. Now, praise God. The word of God is quick and powerful to shove than of sword. And uh, the word of God, you know, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So when the word of God is preached, then God will do his work. But if you and I are going to be effective, in our ministry then we need to have a heart relationship with the lord we need to know him intimately you Now, jesus has given all of his followers the responsibility of being a witness for him of sharing the gospel of jesus christ with others around us that you and i would have a passion for souls that you and i would have a desire to let other people know that christ died for them But the truth of the matter is, unless you and I have a sweet relationship with the Lord, then our witness for him is not as effective as it ought to be. When God puts us in those situations... Where you and I have an opportunity to share the Word of God or when you and I have an opportunity to witness for him or when we have an opportunity to teach God's word or in the case of those who preach when we have an opportunity to preach God's Word, it's imperative that we're ready it's prepared that we be prepared that not just mentally but spiritually we're ready always to give an answer to every man that asks us the reason of hope it is with meekness and fear. And notice the verse starts, First Peter 3.18 that is, and it starts, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always. It's a heart relationship, not just a head knowledge. That we have a sanctified the Lord God in our hearts first and then we're ready to share God's word with others. And that's true for the preacher and it's true for each and every one who teaches. It's true for each and every one of us who witnesses for Christ, we need to make sure that we have our hearts right with him. You know, physical blindness was, is common today. It was common in the Bible times, and it's mentioned over and over again in the Word of God. And the one truth about the physically blind is the physically blind need somebody to guide them, or something to guide them. And so two spiritually blind people need reliable guides. And by the way, I should say, they need a reliable guide. You know, those who are physically blind, it's not just a guide. They need a reliable guide, somebody they can trust, or, or a, a guide dog that they can trust. And so two spiritually blind people need a reliable guide. But the sad thing for Israel was, the sad thing about the people that Paul's talking about here in Romans chapter 2 The sad thing was that the spiritually blind were led by spiritually blind. Go with me to Matthew 15, please. Matthew 15. In Matthew 15, Christ is talking uh, about the religious leaders of his day. And in Matthew 15, 14, we read this. Let them alone... They be blind leaders of the blind. And if the blind lead the blind, both shall fall into the ditch. They were blind leaders of the blind. And that really is a a really dangerous scenario when blind are leading the blind. And that's spiritually what he's talking about here. Paul is saying here that they are unreliable. They were unreliable instructors of the blind because they did not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Paul is saying for everybody, we need to be sure that we are a reliable guide. Make sure that we have a right relationship with the Lord before we try to teach others or lead others to Christ. Make sure our heart is right. And to be effective witness, we must know, first of all, know Christ as our Savior, and secondly, we must be walking in the light or we're no more than blind leaders of the blind. To lead souls to Christ, we must truly be saved and be walking in his steps. The sixth advantage was that they believed that they were the light to those in darkness? Look again in verse nineteen. Not confident thou, thyself are a guide of the blind, a light of them which are in darkness. Not only did they believe that they could teach and instruct those who were blind, but they also believed that they could show the way to God. After all, they had the law; they had superior knowledge. If you want to know God, then just look at the law. If you want to know God, just look at what the Old Testament teaches. And it's true, you can find God in the Old Testament. But what they were doing was they were saying, we can show people how that by keeping the law you can get to heaven, and we believe that we can show them the way to God. The way to God is the law. keeping the law. Become a Jew. And you can keep the law, and that'll get you to God. Now, it's true that the Bible, teaches, the Bible teaches that the Jews would have been missionaries. When God called Abraham out of the earth of the Chaldees and he established the Jewish nation, his intent was that that nation would be a witness to the other nations around about them, that they would indeed demonstrate who God was, that they would come to know the true and living God. And in Isaiah chapter 42 and verses 6 and 7 we read, I, the Lord, have called thee in righteousness. Will hold thy hand and will keep thee, and give thee for a covenant of the people, for a light of the Gentiles, to open the blind eyes, to bring out the prisoners from the prison, and then the sin and darkness out of the prison house. God had told them that He had called them out for a purpose, and that was His covenant people were to be a light to the Gentiles. They were to be a witness. They were to be a testimony. They were to be able to lead other people to God. But the Bible also reveals to us that they failed in that responsibility. As in Matthew 23, 15, we read, Woe well, unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. For you compass sea and land to make one proselyte. And when he is made, you make him twofold more the child of hell than yourselves. They were making proselytes. They were, they were getting Gentiles to join Judaism but they were making proselytes unto themselves, they were not leading people to God. People were not getting genuinely saved. They weren't preaching that Christ died for their sins according to the Scriptures, was buried and rose again the third day. They were not teaching the biblical truth of salvation. What they were teaching was keeping the law. And while they were supposed to be witnesses to the unsaved, to the Gentiles. They failed in their responsibility. And they might have been confident of the fact that they were a light of them that were in darkness, but they themselves were in darkness. The problem was that while they had the law, they themselves did not know the way. They rejected Christ. The Bible is clear in the New Testament. Jesus Christ is the light of the world. Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by Him. And so instead of pointing people to Christ, the way, pointing people to Christ, the light of the world, they pointed people to the law of God and said, keeping the law is the means of salvation. And each of us as believers have a responsibility to tell the world about Christ. It's not about do's and don'ts. It's not about keeping a law. It's not about about this, that, and the other thing. People need to know Christ. That's their greatest need. And if we're to be effective in our witness, then we need to know Christ. We need to know him as our saviour, but secondly, we need to know him intimately as our friend. The seventh advantage that the Jews believed they had is they believed themselves to be teachers of the foolish. Look in verse 20. An instructor of the foolish. As Paul continues this, this uh, uh, instruction about what was wrong with the Jewish people and their desire to instruct the Gentiles, he now tells us they themselves pride themselves that they were teachers of the foolish. And what effectively the apostle is saying is here is if you're convinced that you've been endowed with so much wisdom and so much knowledge that you are qualified to teach others, to teach those who you think are foolish, then ought you not to live by that which you teach and not just teach it? I mean, they looked upon the Gentiles as being fools. They were foolish. They rejected God. They rejected God's word. And yet the very people he's writing to here in Romans chapter 2 also rejected God and rejected his Messiah. And therefore, if you're going to teach the foolish, then surely you first and foremost must apply the principles of God's word to your own life. The wisdom of the word should have an effect on you. should have an effect upon the life of those who teach it. Otherwise, it's empty teaching. They were fools teaching fools. And this goes for us too. If we're going to teach others the word of God, then first of all, that word must take root in our lives. Otherwise, our preaching and teaching is empty. If we don't have a conviction, a belief that what this book says is true, and then we start to try and tell other people about God's Word, we're hypocrites in many ways. We're fools. Because we're saying, this is important for you. You need to know this. You need to know this truth. These things are important to you. But don't look at me as your example. If we're going to instruct others as parents, if we're going to instruct our children, as grandparents, if we're going to instruct our grandchildren, as as, uh, people, if we're going to instruct others by our life and testimony, if we're going to be an effective witness for Christ, then this book must have an impact upon us first in turning our vision from ourselves unto the Lord so that we get a vision of Him. And as we get a vision of Him and we grow in love for Him, then that will affect us and it will bleed through us in our daily lives and people will see that the Word of God is real to us, that God is real to us, that Jesus Christ is real to us, so that when you and I are standing up as a testimony, they know that this is not just words, but this is a relationship. And if we're not careful, we can be just as foolish as the Jews. Even those of us who are saved, we can know headwise the knowledge of God's word, and we want to teach it unto those that are foolish, those that do not know it. But by the same token, we're not allowing the word of God to have an impact upon our lives and change us through the spirit of God from glory to glory into the image of Christ, which is what it's supposed to do. You and I are supposed to look into the perfect law of liberty according to James. We're supposed to see what manner of men we are and that's supposed to change us into the image of Christ. But if you and I don't read the word of God or you and I don't study the word of God or you and I don't actually believe the word of God, then how can we ever effectively teach others? True for those of us who preach. Before I preach God's word, God's word must have first spoken to me. And if we're going to be effective in preaching, every one of us, when we go to prepare a sermon, we say, Lord, speak to me through your word so that I might then share this with those that you want me to share it. Because it's pointless, if it hasn't first spoken to me, then why am I telling it to you? Now, it doesn't mean that everything I read and everything that speaks to me that I've actually achieved the, to uh, overcome, if we're talking about some struggle in life, uh, you know, if I have to wait till I finish struggling with something before we preach a sermon, none of us would probably ever get up and preach. Because none of us are perfect. But at the very least, the Word of God must have had an impact upon us first before we share it with others. The same is true when it comes to witnessing. This book must have an impact upon us so that you and I have sanctified the Lord God in our hearts so that we can then share it with others. Otherwise, we're just fools. Otherwise, we're just sharing facts. We're not sharing the living word, and we are to share the living word. This is not a dead book. This is a living book. Speaking about a living saviour. Speaking about a relationship with God, speaking about a salvation that Jesus Christ purchased upon the cross of Calvary when he shed his precious blood for you and I, where he died upon the cross and he finished the work of redemption. He was buried and rose again the third day and now he shares with all that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's a living, vibrant relationship with God that you and I are sharing. And we need to have that relationship with him that we might be passionate about it when we share it with others and not cold like the Jews. The seventh advantage is they believe themselves to be teachers of the immature, again in verse 20, and teachers of babes. You know, the Jews were drilled from their youth in the law. And therefore they may deem themselves thoroughly capable of imparting instruction from the lord of the gentiles in fact the expression babes here is figurative it's an expression which they would apply to the gentiles they weren't very pleasant to gentiles they called them fools they called them babes they called them uh, blind and uh, and so on so babes is another description of the unsaved gentile And they saw them as spiritual babes, those without the law. And the Jews considered themselves to be qualified to teach the world because they had been drilled in the law from birth. And that belief led to a great zeal to make proselytes to convert people to Judaism but not convert people to Christ. I mean, after all, they had the law which was the embodiment of the knowledge and truth and it's true isn't it the law the old testament law was indeed a source of knowledge go to psalm 119 please psalm 119 psalm 119 and verse 66 teach me good judgment and knowledge for I believe thy commandments so the word of God is indeed the source of knowledge and it's also the source of truth look in verse 142 of this same psalm psalm 119 verse 142 the righteousness is an everlasting righteousness and thy law is truth The law of God was the source of knowledge. The law of God was the source of truth. There is no doubt about that. The problem was not the law. The problem was those who were teaching the law. Look in verse 20 again. An instructor of foolish, teacher of babes, which has the form of knowledge and of the truth in the law. They had a form of knowledge and truth. The word form here is outward form. Not the essence. Or the nature of knowledge. They had an outward facade of tr- knowledge. They were living by the law. Not even doing a very good job of that, but the law was what governed their lives. It was an outward facade. But there was in- no inward essence. There was no inward nature. Nature of knowledge 2 Timothy 3.5 says having the form of godliness and denying its power that's what was happening here they had a form of godliness but they did not have the power of God within them they were going through the ritual they were going through all the, the, the daily practices of their religion and they were very religious but they were not righteous They were religious, but they weren't saved. They were religious, but they didn't have a relationship with God. They had knowledge, but it was an outward knowledge. It was not an inward nature that had changed them. They had the law, but not the essence of truth. It's the outward form of the essence. You see, the law was the outward form. Christ is the essence. They boasted that they had the law. They boasted that because they had the law, they were better and more knowledgeable than Gentiles. But if you rest in the law, you fail to find the essence. They sought the scripture, but not Christ of the scripture. They knew the law, but not the lawmaker. They followed the letter of the law, but not the spirit of it. The truth is the mere possession of the law justifies no one. Just to have the law doesn't justify you. Just to have the law doesn't save you. No more than having a Bible saves you. You can walk around with this book all day long. You can have this book in your possession, and it will never save you. The mere possession of the book doesn't save you. It's the acceptance and belief in the person of the book that saves you, isn't it? It's faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ upon the cross of Calvary that saves, not the book. What's the same with the law? The law does not save. In fact, Galatians tells us the law was given to us to be a schoolmaster, to bring us to Christ. It was supposed to teach us about Christ. It's supposed to point us to Jesus Christ. It's supposed to show to you and I that you and I cannot save ourselves. That you and I are, as far as the law is concerned, you and I are sinners before a holy God. And no matter how much we strive, no matter how much we try, no matter how much we want to keep the law, you and I fall short of His glory. Because all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And no matter how good we may be, no matter how righteous we may appear to be, no matter how uh, much we might keep the law, no matter how much we might do that which is religious, it doesn't save. Only Christ can do that. Justification is found in Christ and his finished work in Calvary. Not in the law, all for that matter, in knowledge, but in Christ. Romans chapter 5 and verse 1 says, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Salvation is by faith in Christ. Salvation is by faith alone in Christ alone, and there is no other means of salvation. Religion does not save. And for all the advantage the Jews had, for all the knowledge the Jews had, for all the possession of the law the Jews had, and for all the efforts to try and keep the law the Jews did, none of that could save them. They were blind, leaders of blind. They were fools leading fools. They were trying to instruct the Gentiles uh, the way to God, showing them that the way to God was keeping the law when they missed the very means of salvation, Jesus Christ. They themselves were lost. Religious, but lost. And here in Romans chapter 2, verses 7 and 20, we clearly see that the Jews had a lot of pride. And they were using the fact that they had God's law to try and elevate themselves to a place of superiority over the Gentiles. But the problem was they completely failed to understand the true purpose of the law. And as we continue on here in chapter two and chapter three, we're going to see that's exactly they didn't understand it. I mean, one classic example uses circumcision, which Darren read for us about today, in verses 25 uh, down to verse 29. He talks about the matter of circumcision. He says, "For circumcision very profitable if, if, if they keep the law, but if there be a break of the law, that circumcision is made uncircumcision. Therefore, if the uncircumcision kept of righteousness of the law shall not his." uncircumcision be counted for circumcision and shall not uncircumcision which is by nature if it fulfill the law judge thee who is who by the letter and circumcision does transgress the law for if he is not a Jew which is one outwardly neither is that circumcision which is an outward of the flesh but he is a Jew which is one inwardly and the circumcision of the heart in the spirit and not in the letter whose praise is not of men but of God He's basically going to tell them, listen, you keep the law, but it's not in your heart. The Gentiles who know God in their hearts are are saved and you're not. They actually have the knowledge, you don't. And he's going to use the law to show, in fact, he's going to use everything that they pride themselves in to condemn them. Because that's exactly what the law was intended to do. The law was to bring you and I to the place where we saw ourselves as sinners before a holy God. It was never intended to save us. It was intended to show you and I that we cannot save ourselves. And the only means of salvation is Christ. There's also a warning here for those of us who are saved. It's easy to become proud of what we have in Christ. Christ to see ourselves as superior to those who don't know Christ. But how can you and I be proud of that which is not in our own power? How can we be proud of being saved solely by the grace of God? We are what we are by the grace of God. How are we be proud of that? How can we be proud of being saved by God only on the basis of mercy. Not by works of righteousness we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us. How can we be proud of the fact that we have a relationship with God because of the merit of the Lord Jesus Christ, not because of anything we've done? Listen, we are what we are because of God. Not because of who we are. We we were sinners Hell-bound sinners, destined for a Christless eternity in hell and the lake of fire, without God, without hope. When Jesus Christ left heaven's glory and He died upon the cross of Calvary, and He reached out to you and I, and He said that He died for us, and whosoever call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And then you and I are saved by grace, by His mercy, by His sacrifice on Calvary. Where's the boasting? Not in me, not in you, it's in Christ. You know, Paul said if he was going to boast in anything, it'd be in the cross of Christ. Because that's the only place of our boast, isn't it? We are what we are by the grace of God. You and I need to remember that we're only sinners saved by grace. We need to maintain a sweet relationship with the Lord so that you and I might be effective witnesses for Christ. That we might be all that God expects of us and not be like the Jews. And if we're going to be what God wants to be, first and foremost, we need to be saved. Then daily, we need to be sanctified for his glory. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you for your word we thank you Father for the book of Romans and we thank you for this reminder that salvation is not found in the law it's not found in religion it's found in Christ and his finished work upon Calvary Lord help us to make our boast in him and not in us help us Father God to grow daily in our love for him that we might be an effective witness for you and Lord, if anybody here today who doesn't know You as their Savior, may they realize that salvation is found in Christ alone, and there is no other. We challenge us by Your Word. We pray. Commit into our hearts. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to turn to hymn number.